to Jesus Politics, where we bring the scriptures to life and leadership today. Welcome to week five of our journey through Exodus together. This week, we looked at Exodus chapter six, and it's been a a little bit of a different kind of week because there's been a lot of familiar material and uh, then some, some very new kind of material that has come up at this point in the chapter. Uh, We begin at the very beginning of uh, chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. And uh, looking at this particular passage, um, this follows up right at the end of Moses last week in our readings through chapter 5, going to Pharaoh and initially asking Pharaoh to uh, let the Hebrew people go and to go out into the wilderness to worship their God. And that's met with complete failure. And in fact, Moses kind of tries to to say, no, we really need to do this or else God's going to attack us. God's going to kill us. Um, We're going to be in in big trouble if we don't do what God says. And that just serves to make Pharaoh angry rather than have pity or show any mercy towards the Hebrew people. So that, that plane completely backfires. And so chapter six, starting at verse one, is where God steps in to speak after there's been failure, backfired plans, and lots of complaining. God says, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, for under compulsion he will let them go, and under compulsion he will drive them out of his land, uh, meaning the Hebrew people. So this chapter uh, focuses a little bit more on God's response in one way, but but also initial plan. And that's why I think we see a little bit of material repeated uh, throughout this. But it starts out with that initial kind of response of Moses and Aaron going to the people, going to Pharaoh, finding that this initial action failed. Uh, I just want to take just a moment. If you go back to Moses and the burning bush, God says this right out front. He says he's going to harden Pharaoh's heart and um, he will not let the people go just because Moses asks him to, but God is going to have to intervene. So while Moses sees this as a failed plan and the people, Hebrew people see this as a failed plan, this is going all according to what God said initially in there, as we have here recorded in Exodus. So it's, it's a, a change there from Moses coming and asking and Pharaoh releasing the people out of his goodwill to God saying, no, he's going to be compelled. He's going to be compelled to let them go. And in fact, he's going to be compelled so much he's going to drive them out of the land. Uh, and then he, he goes on and, and says that the purpose of this is that they're going to have go back to the promised land where they... Uh, were given that land by God, and that, um, that's, that's where he wants them to be. But the Egyptians had been holding them there in bondage, and it's, it's time for them to come home. So Moses doesn't relent there. He still comes back and um, is saying, but God, they don't listen to me. They don't listen to me. And so we've got... But the way I, I kind of see this going on here, two conversations in Moses' 
trying to talk around God. God has been very clear and very direct in saying, here's what's going to happen. I'm sending you to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. He's not going to do it because you say to do it, but he will do it because I'm going to intervene. I'm going to show him some wonders. And by the time that we're done with it, he will want you gone. He will want all the Hebrew people gone from the land of Egypt. And something is not connecting in Moses' head. Moses is still trying to figure out what he's supposed to say, what he's supposed to do, how Moses is the cause of the people being set free. And God is trying to tell him, it's not you, it's me. God's trying to tell him that there's not anything that Moses or Aaron or any other person can do. This is one of those um, Moses talking, or uh, Jesus in the New Testament talking about how difficult it is for a rich man to get to heaven. Uh, with human beings, this is impossible. So to put it in another way, um, God is, is telling Moses that for human beings, for the Hebrew people to be freed and to go back home to their promised land that God had gotten for them, that's an impossible thing by human standards. But with God, all things are possible. And so he's trying to pull him back to, it's not you, Moses, who's going to do it. God is the one uh, who's going to make this happen. And he, he goes on and, and talks about um, that he's the Lord. And, and this is where there's a little bit of a shift in what looks like old material that we've already covered in a couple previous chapters here, becoming some new material. Because God then tells Moses, Go back to the Hebrew people, and uh, you, you need to know, your context, Moses, that when I worked with their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, uh, and um, Jacob, and Joseph, uh, who was there, who got them to, to Egypt there kind of in the first place, when I worked with their forefathers, I gave them this name. Uh, God Almighty, El Shaddai. But when I sent you to them, I told them, uh, told you to tell them my name is I Am or Yahweh. And this is where God has given the Hebrew people a new name for him, a more personal name, not just a, a title of the greatest God, uh, but his, his personal name and is inviting them in, into a, a closer relationship. And that's where I don't know that Moses understands that. I don't know if the Hebrew people were really understanding what was happening because they looked at their present circumstance, their situation, and saw no change. In fact, the only change that had happened was conditions were getting worse. Pharaoh was mad. He was making their labor harder. Things were worse, not better. But there was also a change going on from God's perspective with them in, in relationship with them, God was inviting them into a closer, more personal relationship. Um, I'm not sure that they appreciated that at the time. And I'm not sure that Moses completely understood that, but that's a shift in what God is trying to do that I think is significant because we often, and, and not just us today, but all throughout the Bible, and all throughout history, uh, there's a human tendency to focus on 
the physical, immediate, urgent, perceived needs that we have. And the things that are spiritual, that sometimes seem more abstract, that are harder for us to uh, control, sometimes let alone even understand, those things get put to the back burner until we can finally get comfortable enough to maybe delve into them and talk about them or study them just a little bit. Uh, we're focused on our, our loud, urgent, immediate, perceived needs. And that's how these, these Egyptians, uh, the Hebrew people were. That's how Moses was. Pharaoh didn't let us go. Pharaoh didn't let us go. Things got worse. They're not seeing and they're not going to understand the importance of God inviting them into a more intimate, more personal relationship at this point. But he does. And he's, he's trying to tell them and he's repeating himself, uh, trying to give them the same message. I am going to deliver you. It just may not be on your schedule or in quite the way that you are looking for and, um, and hoping for. Following this, we've got a list of names uh, and what uh, comes up to be kind of a genealogy of Moses. Um, Moses and Aaron both. And um, in the, the blog, I, I talk about what we can do with lists of names when we see them in the Bible, how to understand them. Um, just knowing that this is not a census like we have in some of the uh, other Old Testament books, uh, Book of Numbers and um, in the Second Samuel, I believe, uh, there in the time of, of David, as they were trying to count people and uh, put them in different tribes. It's not a full list. It's a very directive list, and it ends really when you get to Moses and to Aaron as a focal point. And I think that's important here because we've had Moses go to the people and say, hey, we're going to get set free from Egypt. And they get a little bit excited, those elders, enough that they're going to back him a little bit. But he goes to Pharaoh, it completely fails, it backfires on him. Everybody's mad at Moses. Moses is then mad at God. It calls into question, not just is God um, really going to do what he says he's going to do, but is Moses actually the prophet? Is Moses the problem here? Um, who is Moses anyway? Who is he to be speaking on behalf of the God of the Hebrew people? He's been living outside of Egypt and away from the Hebrew people for years, probably decades at that point. Who is he? And that's what the genealogy answers. This is who he is. He's the second son of Amram, um, going all the way to down one of the, the sons of Levi and uh, part of the 12 tribes of Israel that point. So that genealogy answers who Moses is, kind of verifies, gives him the, the credentials that he needs to be able to, um, to show, no, I really am one of the Hebrew people. There's a reason God picked me. But it also, uh, I think, answers a little bit of that question of who is Aaron and why is Aaron the one getting up and saying all these words while Moses kind of stands behind him or stands beside him, whispering in his ear, uh, giving him those words. There's something a little bit awkward about that. Um, if Aaron's the one doing the talking, why do you need Moses whatsoever? And so it's a little bit of a, a link in, in understanding 
that. This is why you have Moses. This is why you have Aaron both working together there. We end um, with just a very short passage, and it, it really ends kind of like we began, and uh, ends similar to where we were last week, too, where it says that on the day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, I am the Lord, speak to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I speak to you. But Moses said before him, Behold, I am unskilled in speech. How then will Pharaoh listen to me? And so there's that that excuse that, again, justifies the reason for having Aaron involved in this at all. But how many times do we have to read that Moses made that same excuse? And did it really happen all these different times in these different places? Or is it... Uh, just a common theme that keeps coming back around. And, and I think that there's there's evidence for a little bit of all of the above in that. There's a stubbornness of Moses in these, these whole passages here where he's not really understanding what God is trying to plainly and simply say to him. Um, because it, it doesn't show his part and it doesn't give him any kind of control over the situation. He's, he's really, as the prophet of God, as the mouth of God, being thrust into a potentially hostile, violent situation, a dangerous situation, and not given any control. And God is saying, I want you to go, and I want you to say these words. And these words aren't going to work. There's nothing magical about these words. There's nothing magical about the, the miracles and the things that I'm going to... Uh, ask you to do to perform these wonders. There's nothing magical about that. You have no control over that. You're going to do and you're going to see some amazing things and it won't change the end result. The only thing that's going to change the heart of Pharaoh is God. And I think that's an important reminder to me. And I, it's probably an important reminder to all of us. We're, we're always looking for things that we can do to fix uh, things that ways that we can control the, the world around us. We want to know what it is that we can do to make our life and the lives of those around us better. And sometimes there's not anything. Sometimes there's really not anything. Sometimes it takes an act of God. I think I've, I've probably dealt with this and felt this the most in the last year with COVID going on and hearing from church leaders and church people and, and people out, even outside the church just saying, we can't do anything until this virus goes away. We're shut down. We're put on pause, whatever phrase that they're, they're terming that. And um, there's something in me that wants to rise up and say, but no, we can do something. We can figure something out. It may not be the best, may not be what we're, hoping for, wanting, but we can do something. We can, we can move and we can do something. Um, but at the same time, I think there's an important reminder for us to recognize that it's not about us doing anything. It's about what God is doing and what, how we are following along with and being obedient is Moses doesn't get permission to just sit down on a rock and wait till the people 
get freed from Egypt and come out and join him in the wilderness. No, Moses is thrust there right in the midst of all this, maybe in some of the most dangerous places, and doing things, and, and seeing failure, and experiencing that, that failure, and seeing everybody else watch him fail time and time and time again, no matter how hard he tries. But he's not doing it for success in their eyes. He's not doing that for the personal experience of success. Well, I think in some ways he was trying to, and that's where his frustration came in. But what what he's doing, that why God is asking him to do that, is just out of obedience to God. And so in the midst of all of that, that frustrating place of being asked to do something and being pretty sure it's not going to work, finding yourself doing it anyway, still seeing the failure. You have God who's getting more and more personal with Moses and with these people and saying, look, you all know me from your forefathers and the, the stories that they told, but I, I want to know you and I want you to know me on an even deeper level than them. And I think that's what we get in Jesus. Um, there are several comments that Jesus made before he uh, ascended back into heaven um, about the disciples and some of the miracles that they do and uh, in referring to John the Baptist and saying that there was never a prophet. Moses was a great prophet and did some really powerful things, but Jesus said there was never a prophet that was as close to God, as, as good as, as John the Baptist was. But whoever is least least in the kingdom of heaven is greater even than John the Baptist. And in doing that, and in, in several of the other comments that Jesus says, again, before he ascends to heaven, there's this sense that God wants to be even closer with us, that there are greater things um, ahead of us in our relationship with God than there are behind us. And that's hard to, to grapple with, especially in the midst of frustration. But that's, that's where this Exodus chapter 6 has been this week. Thank you for listening to Jesus Politics in our journey through Exodus. I'd love to hear your comments and uh, look forward to being with you next week. This is Tony Franklin. Thank you for joining us for Jesus Politics in our journey through Exodus. See you all next Friday.